Greetings and grace, everyone. Due to the popular response to our first 12-13 week installment of Theology of the Body, I have decided to go ahead and continue our reflections on Theology of the Body by uh, going a little deeper. And I will do that with Christopher West's The Love That Satisfies, a work that continues to go into John Paul II's vision of love and responsibility, as well as Pope Benedict's work, God is Love. So tune in next week. This evening tonight, I will re-air our program from two weeks ago where we summarized our first 12 weeks. So please stick around. And uh, again, if you have any questions, comments, don't hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is Josh Joelcraft coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we have tonight the opportunity to wrap up our series on Theology of the Body. It has been a great joy to journey with you in this rich, rich topic that is Theology of the Body, that study where we have the opportunity to really delve into the ways in which God's mystery is revealed in the language of our body. And as I have had each and every Thursday, with maybe the exception of one, huh, Ivan, I do have Ivan with me uh, this final Thursday. So, Ivan, it is great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be back. So, Ivan, uh, this Thursday, uh, we are wrapping things up. And as I noted last week, what I thought we could do is talk briefly about the importance of what we've talked about and, imp- and apply it to dating. And then with the remainder of our time, just kind of reflect maybe in summary form what this all means as it relates to evangelization and uh, this this call to live the gospel with our bodies. And I think that'll round out things nicely. So with that, dating, courtship, I mean, what is this all about in light of what we've talked about? Well, let us go to some of that initial subject matter where we took up the Trinity. Here we are in our last week. Uh, we would be well served, Ivan, to come full circle. So let's talk about the Trinity. What is the Trinity? The Trinity is that perfect eternal exchange of love, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, and that love is life. And that, of course, is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the love shared between the Father and the Son. What's more is that the Trinity is perfect friendship, okay? The Trinity is perfect communion. The Trinity is that source which we come to better understand what courtship ought to be all about, right? Love given, love received, and love shared. That is a good point of the Trinity. Uh, I was teaching theology of the body for teens to a group of teenagers, and we showed them a picture of the Trinity. It was mm-hmm. the God the Father sitting down on a couch with Son, uh, with Jesus Christ the Son, and then in between was the Holy Spirit as another person. And then next to that picture, we put a picture of a family. Mm. And it was uh, Mary, and then it was Joseph, and then there was Jesus in mm-hmm. between. Mm. But that can represent any other family. Mm-hmm. And so when the teens were like, oh, I can see how the Trinity, how the family, an earthly family images the Trinity. Mm. But then this one teen raised his hand and says, what if you have more than one sibling? Mm-hmm. What if you have a lot of kids? How yeah. is that the Trinity? Yeah, yeah. And so we made a point to say, you know, it's the life that comes forth from that 
union mm-hmm. of the man and the woman that gives uh, life to that kid, uh, mm-hmm. that baby. Sure. So it is that life that represents the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and because uh, the Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son, that love we know is inexhaustible. Mm-hmm. Remember what we've talked about as relates to mystery um, in our time together, Ivan. Mystery is that inexhaustible reality, and what that reality is is God's love pouring right. out. And yeah, so the more children we have, the more we reflect and image God. Mm-hmm. And we can go so far as to say the more children we have, the more fluent we can speak the language of the Trinity. Huh? Now, <laughs> I say that, and I can hear people out there, Ivan, saying, hey, what does that mean? We have to have 12 kids, 15 kids to speak the language of the Trinity fluently? Well, let me say this. I'm obviously not saying you have to have all these kids to, to know the language or to speak the language of the Trinity. But what I am saying is that if you want to speak the language of the Trinity, uh, you need to be open to life. I mean, this is what's so important about that marital embrace, uh, to be unconditionally open to life. Uh, that's how you speak the language of the Trinity. Now, what does this have to do with courtship? Well, uh, it's very important because when you talk about two people who enter into that courtship um, and also dating, and I've used those two terms, and we're going to make a distinction between those two terms, courtship and dating. When we talk about this, we're talking about that call to enter into that social dimension of who we are, right? Another key point to what we talked about in the opening week. So what is courtship? Uh, Courtship we can define as a time of relating with one another. Uh, I've been getting to know the person, um, his or her friends and family, uh, through friendship before moving into a dating relationship. So the idea here, Ivan, I think this is really important for listeners, is the priority of entering into a friendship. And of course, in light of this, there is a low-risk, balanced, uh, balanced approach to pursuing relationships that ultimately then creates this firm foundation upon which love can be built. And I don't care how old you are out there, if you're 14, 18, 28, certainly this, this looks differently for, for each and every listener, Ivan. But it's enough to be said that when we put a priority on friendships, we are beginning to speak the language of courtship that John Paul II envisions, and rightfully so, lest we slip into this hookup culture. These one-night stands, Ivan, that have really pervaded uh, the teenage culture. And as you know, um, many college uh, campuses across the country. I mean, if we can establish friendships, what we do is we begin to see people for who they are as created in the image and likeness of God. We begin to see them as human persons, and we stop reducing people to just their sexual values. You know, just last year, I was invited to speak to young adults about this topic that you just mentioned, Joe, and... I shared a story about a relationship that I found myself in a while ago. And this girl that I was um, getting to know at the time was very, very holy and very wise. So one day I asked her, hey, tell me, how can I love you more? I don't know, but I felt like asking her that question. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. she said, "Um, let me think about it. (laughs) And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. (laughs) She's going to ask me to give her shoulder massages, take her out for more dinners. (laughs) I don't know. But eventually she came back and she's like, you know, here's how you can love me more. Lead me closer to heaven. That's how you can love me more. Amen. And I was shocked by that answer. Amen. And when I shared this story with these young adults, there was this one young man who walked to me after the talk and he says, hey, you know, I really like what you said uh, 
during the talk about this this person, what she said to you. But how can you lead someone closer to heaven if you yourself don't feel like you're heading there? If you yourself are struggling with your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so I congratulated him for being, first of all, very honest with himself. And second, because it's a very good point. If we ourselves are not heading towards heaven, if we ourselves are not seeking out a relationship with God, it's going to be very difficult for us to bring our partner, whether that is our spouse or our girlfriend or boyfriend, closer to heaven. Mm-hmm. So that can always be a good starting point. How is my relationship with God? Oh, that's a great story, Ivan. You know, um, your friend's honesty brings us back to purity, huh? As John Paul II talked about purity, he spoke to it within the context of it being the requirement of love, the dimension of its interior truth in man's heart that we cannot love as we are called to love if we are not pure. I mean, those who are pure in heart, what's, what's the beatitude? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, those who are pure in heart are those who see, understand, and experience the body as God created it to be, as a revelation of his own divine mystery. Well, last week, Ivan, we talked about modesty, modesty defined as decency, modesty understood within the context of an invitation. Are we inviting others to love or are we inviting others to lust? Modesty is always, anywhere and everywhere, Ivan, a reflection of our own purity, our purity of heart. Yeah, the honesty of your friend. How important is that? And just think about this. Can you possibly love someone more than to do and will heaven for them? Mm-hmm. Is, you can say to someone, I love you, but I don't want heaven for you. Yeah. If you love someone, that is the greatest good that you can desire for that person. Mm-hmm. And so everything that we do in our relationship should lead this other person to heaven if we truly love that person. Yeah, as you're talking there, Ivan, I'm reminded of uh, the story I shared a few weeks ago. The couple had been married for 75 years, you know, and they were asked the question, how did you do it? And her response, the wife says, we're still getting to know each other. We're still getting to know each other. We're still willing to make all the sacrifices that are necessary to go deeper into how we in our relationship reflect God all these years later, how I can love my spouse more. And in loving my spouse more, I can love God all the more. Wow. You know, I so often hear today in the world of cohabitation, yeah, we need to get to know each other to see if we're the right fit, if we're going to get married first. So you know, this is why we're living together. Well, <laughs> there's never going to be a time where you've fully gotten to know your future spouse, if that's what you have in mind, huh? So I don't know how far that actually goes, because in the end, if you're cohabitating, you're never going to fully know, okay? And that's the great mystery. That couple has been married for 75 years because They've entered into that great adventure of still getting to know each other. Amen to that. And in addition to that, if you truly love that one person, you will want to protect that person's future marriage, whether that marriage will be with you or mm-hmm. maybe that, pers- that marriage will be with someone else. Mm-hmm. But will cohabitating, since you were talking about that, will that prepare that person or both of you for marriage? And, well, let's look at it, what it trains you on. It trains you on the fact that the door is always open. Mm-hmm. It is a partial gift of self. I'm not really giving everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just giving to you a little bit of myself. I'll give myself entirely to you someday, maybe. Mm-hmm. But then when they've actually married and the problems come in and their their love is tested, 
and it's time for them to show commitment mm -hmm. to each other and really fight for that marriage. They don't know how to do that because they never prepare for such a commitment. Mm -hmm. They were used to being together with the door always open. And so there's no surprise that most cohabitating couples who end up marrying end up in divorces. Yeah, the majority. Um, and by majority, I mean to say 51% or greater. I don't have the exact numbers before me, Ivan, but I think it's within the the, the range of 60, 60, 68% last I saw. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it kind of highlights our point. And you're also, you know, you're not drawing from the grace of the sacrament. I mean, the grace that sustains you through, through, through those more difficult times um, when you're called to forgive, when you're called to serve in, in a capacity that challenges your humanity, um, that, that challenges your nature. So yeah, we need that grace to see one another as God sees us. Just like Adam and Eve did, right, Joe? Mm -hmm. Back Amen. in the beginning. Back in the beginning, what is it that Adam saw in Eve when he first saw her? They were able to see God in each other. Mm -hmm. And because of original sin, as we had talked in previous pro uh, programs, we have strayed away from that vision. We no longer see each other as, God, as made in God's image and likeness. Mm -hmm. But rather, our lust very often dominates us mm -hmm. and is what causes us to use each other. And maybe also ask ourselves, what is it that I see when I see other people? I asked this to our teens this summer. Take a look at your mom and your dad or your siblings or your friends at school and the people that you meet every day. What is it that you see when you see them? Do you see them as made in the image and likeness of God? And whatever it is that we see will reveal to us where we're at in our, in our redemption, in our purification process. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I affirmed that and told them, if it's okay if at this point, if, if so far, you have struggled to, to see each other as being names and likeness of God. We are all struggling together. But there's never, as we talked about before, it's never too late. Amen. God wants to redeem us and give us a new start. Amen. That's right, Ivan. We are better than our worst. We need to rise up, pick ourselves off the mat, and start again, start anew. I mean, that is the Christian journey of faith. I mean, the saint is not the person who has never fallen but simply the person who has gotten up the second, third, and fourth time, understanding, in the words of St. Augustine, Ivan, that life is a struggle in grace. And so, again, we lean upon that grace. So as we talk about this, it would be good to begin to reflect upon the importance of seeing theology of the body as it relates, Ivan, to evangelization and to also the gospel, how theology of the body lies at the heart of the gospel. Uh, what is evangelization? Well, evangelization, simply defined, is uh, the proclamation of the gospel message. I, I love John Paul II's definition that comes to us from Catechesi Tridende, which is um, catechesis in our time. He says that evangelization is the ardent proclamation of the gospel that overwhelms, overruns the person, that ultimately leads them to entrust themselves to God and ask new questions. That ardent proclamation. Now, the question that, be, that begs to be asked is, what is the meaning of gospel? You know, we usually translate the word gospel as good news. Certainly that is attractive. But what Pope Benedict XVI draws out is this is a word that is more than just good news. This is a term that figures in the vocabulary of the Roman emperors who understood themselves as lords, saviors, and redeemers of the world. The messages issued by the emperor, Ivan, were called in Latin the Evangelium, 
regardless of whether or not their content was particularly cheerful and pleasant, huh? The idea was that what comes from the emperor is a saving message that is not just a piece of news, but a change of the world for the better. So when the evangelists adopt this word and it thereby becomes the generic name for the writings, as Benedict XVI highlights, what they mean to tell us is this. What the emperors who pretend to be gods illegitimately claim, Pope Benedict says, really occurs here. A message endowed with plenary authority. A message that is not just talk, but reality. Mark speaks of the gospel of God, the point being that it is not the emperors who saved the world, but God. And so what the evangelists provide for us is the full vision of man in Jesus Christ. Huh? John Paul II makes note in his work on the gospel of life that at the core of the gospel is the affirmation of the inseparable connection between the person, his life, and his bodiliness. What does the gospel of John tell us? John 1:14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When we trace the life of Christ, what we begin to see and begin to appreciate, as John Paul II would have us see, that the person of Jesus Christ as the God-man, his life is revealed to us in and through his body. That is to say that God brings down his heavenly mystery to earth in the flesh. As the Holy Father observes, God comes to us in the things we know best and can verify most easily the things of our everyday life apart from which we cannot understand ourselves. And as Christopher West makes note, I mean, what do we know better? What can we verify more easily? What is more everyday than the experience of embodiment, being male or female? This is where God meets us, in the flesh. And this is where we must meet the world in the spirit, Ivan, of the new evangelization. We've talked about evangelization. What is the new evangelization? The new evangelization, as John Paul II once put it, is that vital effort to come to a deeper understanding of the mysteries of faith and to find meaningful language with which to convince our contemporaries that they are called to newness of life through God's love. So, Ivan, it is the task of sharing with modern men and women the unsearchable riches of Christ, of making known, as Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So if the church exists for evangelization and this call to proclaim the gospel message, then Ivan, theology of the body, as it is an incarnation of the gospel, exists for evangelization. If the future of humanity passes by way of marriage and the family, as John Paul II notes, then we could say that the future of marriage and the family passes by way of John Paul II's theology of the body. Putting it another way, with Christopher West, there will be no renewal of the church and of the world without a renewal of marriage and the family. And there will be no renewal of marriage and the family, Ivan, without a return to the full truth of God's plan for the body and sexuality. Which is one of the purposes of theology of the body, to renew marriages. Mm -hmm. If you look at uh, Christopher West and all these other speakers who are spreading this theology of the body message all around the world, 
you will be um, you will be surprised to see how many couples who are either married or dating have experienced this tremendous increase of love in the relationships and mm -hmm. satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Christopher West even wrote a book called The Love That Satisfies yeah. because this is truly what we have been longing for. Yeah. And I think since today's our last Tell You the Body program, it might be a good idea to review why is it that he named it, John Paul II, why is it that he named this work Theology of the Body? What is theology? Theology is the study of God. Mm -hmm. And if we say that there's a theology to our body, it means that through our body as male and female, we learn something about who God is mm -hmm. and what he destined us for. Yeah. It is through our bodies that we learn that we are called living communion in a communion of persons which bring forth life just as the trinity god himself is a communion of persons mm -hmm. and that love between the father and the son is so powerful we can name it mm -hmm. we can we can give it a name holy spirit just yeah. like the the love of my mom and the love of my dad was so powerful now they can name it it's called ivan yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah. yes well, and as we're talking about this, uh, you know, this language of theology, the body, it's to also remember, Ivan, that uh, we can talk about theology of the body because there is a sacramentality to our body. What do I mean there? Well, Ivan, let us first take up what a sacrament is. Huh? A sacrament, in its more ancient meaning, refers to a physical sign that makes visible what is invisible. Okay, so as it relates to the sacramentality of our body, then what we are made to see is that our bodies communicate a language of mystery. This brings us back to our opening week, huh? Where we talked about how when we are embarrassed, we blush. When we are sad, we cry. When we are happy or joyful, we laugh or giggle. We are making visible with our bodies something that is invisible. That is what we mean by the sacramentality of our body. Now, as I'm talking about this, Ivan, there is an additional truth to be had that really gets to the heart of theology of the body and this whole language of being in communion with other. You talked about Adam and Eve earlier, right? It was in his body that he realized that he was alone. It was in his body that he realized he was made for love. It was in his body that he realized and he saw that he was created for communion with other. And this is why John Paul II and Redemptor Hominis, his first encyclical on Christ the Redeemer of Man, says this, Man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless. If love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does experience and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it, this, John Paul II goes on to say, is why Christ the Redeemer fully reveals man to himself. Why? Because his body given up for us reveals the truth about incarnate love. And remember when we talk about incarnate love, it is love being made visible. And when we realize in our bodiliness, that is being male or female, that our sexual urge is the raw material for the more authentic love to develop, and that more authentic love is the aforementioned agape, that self-sacrificial love, we begin to see that not only do we discover that we are made for other and are called to love, but that deeper sacrificial love has us sharing in the very life of the Trinity. Yeah, exactly. It's not just any kind of love, but Christ-like love. 
I always love that scripture that says, by your love, they will know that you're my disciple. Mm-hmm. And I know we have been speaking about love in the context of a relationship, but I would like to expand it now and say that it is true for marriage, for courtship, and as well as for those who live celibate lives too, mm-hmm. that all mm-hmm. of us are called to live this Christ-like love, total gift of self. As we talked about in the previous program, free, total, faithful, fruitful love. Fruitful, yeah. as an acronym, <laughs> yeah. that we're called to live. And it's interesting also to know, to see that the first time that the Bible says that we're made in, in God's image and likeness, mm-hmm. He introduces to us sex. Male and female, He created them. Yes. So why two sexes? Why couldn't God just create everybody female and impregnate everybody with mm-hmm. His Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. Why not create everybody just male? Why two sexes? Because two sexes makes it possible for the man and the woman to truly give themselves to each other in the way that Christ makes a gift to Himself to the church. As we said before, this union is an icon of the spiritual marriage we will have with God in heaven and is the reason why in heaven we will not marry. Mm-hmm. We will no longer need a sign to point us to heaven when we are in heaven. And those who are living celibate lives, who choose not to go through courtship and marriage, are living that sacrament already here on this earth, are living in the way that it will be like when we are in heaven. Amen, Ivan. Yeah, you used an, an important phrase there, makes possible, male and female makes possible. You know, a glove and a ball makes possible the ability to play catch. A, a basketball and a hoop makes possible the game of basketball. Um, we can go on and on. Certainly, when you're talking about male and female, there's a spiritual dimension. There's so much more to it. But making possible, I think, is an important phrase there. Amen. That being said, Ivan, with our remaining minutes, I wanted to to close with somewhat of a, a reflection on the importance of evangelization. You know, the church says, as I've already noted, that the church exists for evangelization. Uh, John Paul II noted that the church evangelizes but begins by evangelizing herself. Okay, what's going on here? Put simply, we are made to see the first truth is always, anywhere and everywhere, Ivan, to enter into that personal relationship with God, that in doing so we might enter into that in God for other, that new identity, new goal, that coming to know Him to make Him known, that conversion mission, understanding the gift to know the task, all of that Uh, structure that the the Church has given us over 2,000 years to see the importance of what it means to live out our vocation. You cannot excel if you haven't inhaled first. Yes, yes, amen, amen. We ought to inhale, take a deep, deep breath. Yes, amen. And that's a beautiful image, I think, to end with that image, Ivan, of longing for God the same way our lungs long for air. Well, Ivan, it's been a great joy to have you with me over these uh, past 12 weeks these 12 episodes, which had us going deeper and deeper into this wonderful topic of theology of the body. Um, I am grateful, and I know our listeners are grateful, so thank you. It's been my pleasure, and I hope that this message will make a difference on our listeners and that they continue to further their knowledge on theology of the body, even after this program is done. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. 
If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.